Recorded live. Good evening, practitioners. Feels like a long time since we've uh, together a whole week off. There's some work to do. So uh, I think we're all here. Tom, you're here? Yes? Yes. Great. I see South Carolina on the call. I know what that means. Trouble. That means. And Amina and Brian. I'm here. You're, you're here. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. So we're going to start with some meditation tonight. So I'm going to invite you to get comfortable, get in your position, whether that is lotus or feet on the floor, wherever you are, please have your spine erect, your jaw relaxed, and gently close your eyes. And just breathing, breathing in and out. And we relax our lower half of our body, the feet, sex organs, tummy, shoulders, hands. We relax the jaw, the area around the eyes and ears. We breathe. We observe the in-breath flowing in through the nose. We observe it transform into an out-breath as we follow the breath out. We allow our full attention to rest on the breath. And we clear our minds. We're going to work with just that this evening, just clearing our minds. So we create the intention to release distractions, and we just simply rest in God. The intention of this meditation is to quiet the mind, to remove the blocks, to recognize the divine, to rest in peace. We've got the cords to our to-do list, to anything else. We just 
breathe and we allow our breath to be our anchor. If we get distracted by our thoughts, which we probably will at any time, we can just remind ourselves to go back to the breath. I'm setting the clock for 10 minutes. I invite you all to stay in practice for 10 minutes. I'll let you know when chimes.
I'm the Lord God of my being. I am that I am, I decree. I have love for my journey into my ascension. I have compassion for all physical and emotional pain I still need to heal. I give thanks that I am now healing the past and resurrecting the new. As a master of divine expression, walking the earth, I now turn on the light of my divinity. I now activate and transform my DNA to its fifth dimensional potential. I now choose to completely heal and rejuvenate my physical body. I choose to remain happy, harmonious, and grateful. I claim the mastery that is mine to manifest my freedom. I allow divinity to manifest in the most wondrous way. I give thanks that it is done according to God's holy will. I call for shafts of ascension light to blaze through me daily and hourly. And so be it, beloved I am. Beloved great, yeah, right? Beloved great presence I am, thou life that beats my heart, blaze now thy radiant love rays. Let me be an anchor of love for all. Flood me with thy glory and let my heart be always with you. My beloved God presence, I am. I invoke thy great radiance. Infuse my mind and my heart with thy love. Expand and raise my consciousness to ascended master's octave of light. With all your love, with all your love, merge with me more and more each day until I become thyself in manifestation. I am, I am adoring thee. I am, I am adoring thee. I am, I am adoring thee. In deep gratitude, I offer my love to thee. In deep gratitude, I offer my love to thee. Love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. Beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, in pardoning that we are pardoned, and in dying that we are born to eternal life. Holy Spirit, we offer this class to you tonight. We trust that the perfect words will be spoken, the perfect words will be heard to support the transformation, the healing, the expansion of everyone on this call according to what is most appropriate for each one. We give thanks that we, get, that we have the opportunity to come together, to connect at the heart level with a shared intention, to experience a greater awareness of love's presence in, as, and through our life. We offer up any blocks that might prevent us from expanding our awareness of love's presence in our life. And we share all the healing benefits of this time together with everyone. Gratefully, we surrender this conversation to our highest, holiest self, to that which knows the quickest way to awakening. We give thanks, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. I invite you to take a sip of water if you have water nearby. So, I'd like to ask a question. 
tonight. How much differently, how differently, sorry, I'm not getting the right sentence. How, how differently would you live your life if you had no attachment to your judgment thoughts? How differently would you live your life if you had no attachment to your judgment thoughts? If you simply observed them without making them real for you by believing them? How differently would you live your life? How would it be different? And I'm willing to invite everybody to share. So, um, Brian, why don't we begin with you? Okie dokie. That's in my meditations a lot. When I'm doing an activity that I feel is not as pure as it can be, I stop and witness the process. Take away the judgment. God is all in all. God is me making this, quote, mistake or doing something that I feel I could be doing better. When I stop the judgment, I realize that there's just the beingness of that, my, my mind and my heart coming into congruence, that if something's happening that's not in alignment with my heart, I can stop, take a breath, and just look at what's happening accept it, and go on to the next moment in a new place of love and openness. <laughs> so there's a lot of judgments going on, and I don't think that I can change anything. I don't think I can change my behavior, my patterns. I think a part of that change is happening spontaneously and naturally through the grace of God. I'm spending more time in Ram Mantra. Now the question is, am I choosing to do Ram Mantra? And so am I controlling my, my thoughts? Because I'm controlling the dedication of them to Ram? Or is the Ram expression coming out as a natural part of unfolding and has nothing to do with me? So, so it's a basic quandary that my mind looks at and Ram, 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 Ram. Self-will is your decision to choose. Self-will is your decision to choose. Yeah, I think I get that. I feel that. I believe that. I know that when I'm choosing to do Ram Mantra or when I'm choosing to cook mom a delicious supper using love as one of the recipe ingredients, I know I'm choosing, choosing that. Yeah. Everything is an extension of our consciousness. And I've really been contemplating this. Everything is an extension of our consciousness. And I've uh, I've had a wonderful time in the Course in Miracles study group at Inspire because we just reviewed all of the miracle principles, which are the the first teaching in A Course in Miracles other than the introduction, which really sums it all up. And I was just so reminded in reviewing the miracle principles that the miracle is the peace of mind. What manifests 
in the material, in the physical realm, is an extension of our consciousness, but it's not the miracle. The miracle is the peace of mind. The miracle is the recognition of God and how that manifests is an extension of your consciousness. So your consciousness, you know, is creating the experiences around you. And if you're creating from a space of God awareness of peace, then everything is growing and blossoming from that. So you'll have the experience of more peace. Your life will align itself through your specific channel, so through your specific interests. And that's why I'm saying your consciousness creates it. So, you know, to manifest, to reflect peace in your life, to reflect beauty back to you in your life. And when we create from a space of lack or not enough or fear, you know, that's an extension of the consciousness. And so our consciousness will create that reflection back to us as our life. And we think it's the outside... We think it's what's happening, which is creating upset in our life, but it's always, always, always our thinking. So just taking it back, taking it back. And so often if there's upset, it's because we're in judgment. We'd love to judge something as good and something as bad, but we don't have all the information to know what's good or bad, so to practice non-judgment. Oh, my goodness, that's freedom. Because when we're not in judgment, then we have the opportunity to quiet the mind. It's not flooded with opinions and judgments. And we can do what we just did, which was just be in God. And from that open space, you know, that's the open space. That's the void in which all things are created from. Venerable Dahani talks about that from the invisible. You know, all form is created from that through the vibration of our thoughts, of our consciousness. So, Stephen, how about you? How would your experience, your daily experience, be different without, if you didn't, if you had no attachment to your judgment thoughts? So, notice I mean you have no attachment to the judgment thoughts. It doesn't mean you don't have them, because I don't know if we'll ever not have them, but Mm -hmm. we can choose not to attach to them. So, what, what do you think? Um, I think I would, I would move through my day a lot lighter. Like I know when I am, um, when I am attached to that, like I feel heavier, like my breath feels heavier. Um, like I can always feel it like in like heart solar plexus area, like an actual, like pressing down on it. And when I give myself those moments of where I don't um, subscribe to that judgment, there's just a lightness. And um, like, I don't know, the other other day, you know, after uh, we were reading the prayer from uh, our spiritual resources, like one day I just went to work and I was just like, okay, I'm just, I'm going in, going in light here <laughs> instead of going in hot, I'm going in light. And um I don't know, I'd been at work for a couple of hours and everything was going very smoothly and 
um, someone that I hadn't seen in a long time came up and she's like, wow, you have like this glow about you. Did you have something done? And I was like, no, but thanks. Like for thinking I had work done. But then I had this moment of where I was like, oh, I think it's because I'm not like judging everything in the workplace and then judging my judgment of it. Do you know what I mean? And then like, it's very easy for me in the day job to get, kind of caught in that cycle of judging something and then, like I said, judging me, judging it. And it becomes like a hamster wheel almost. And um, I've been trying to be very conscious of that um, this week especially. And, yeah, I just I move lighter. Like I actually feel like there's like a spring in my stub when I don't feel that like – because it's like pulling a wagon behind you when you're like carrying that story. Radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. And very much in progress. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you have, if you, if you realize that you don't like something at work, instead of judging yourself to be bad because you're not in bliss, which just, you know, pulls you back down, you can just accept that. Oh, I'm having the experience of not liking something. Mm. I feel like I don't like that. Oh, look, I'm judging this and not making it bad, just accepting that you're judging it. So it's in that acceptance without making it good or bad, you know, then underneath that is the peace. Mm -hmm. So it's letting go of the opinion that something is good or bad. Remember, we don't have all the details. We don't have all the information. That's been my mind since we did that the other week. Oh, yeah. Trust me. it's, 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 I'm so glad like we read that because I feel like I myself am ready to really hear that too. I know I hear I feel like it's in my cells. Um, and it's so relevant to your work as a spiritual counselor because this is what you're listening for. Judgment. I guarantee you, as soon as you sit and you listen, you'll start to hear people saying, this is good, this is bad. I'm upset because this is bad and this is happening and it's bad. But they don't know if it's good or bad. How could they possibly know if it's good or bad? They don't have all the information. And so we just keep them centered, focused on peace. Where is it that you're interested in going? Let's bring our attention to that. It's like a golden key. That's why the golden key is so important to revisit and revisit and revisit. Beautiful share. We judge ourselves for judging, and it, and it just uh, emphasizes the cyclical pattern that keeps us in judgment. <laughs> not being spiritual. I'm not evolved enough. So total acceptance and deep love and appreciation for where we are on the path. Tom, how about you? Well, I would listen to my feelings more and uh, not necessarily judging them. It's just, are they clear or are they they cloudy? Are they uh, lifting me up or are they weighing me down? And not worrying what somebody else thinks about it. 
Is everyone there? I'm sorry. I was on mute. Dang it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tom, I, I was talking about people-pleasing. And mm-hmm. Tom, said something, Tom said something really insightful about people-pleasing, about, about modifying, manipulating our own emotional state to make other people happy. And um, I was saying how since we're sort of a soul group, I always notice themes. People are working at, on the same thing at the same time. And people-pleasing is definitely up right now in our community. People are really seeing all of the very subtle ways we people-please. And I've been like, I feel like someone has opened the garage door and I'm like looking at like all of these crazy boxes with cobwebs and all this stuff for the first time. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't even realize that was people pleasing, <laughs> but I'm totally people pleasing. And yeah, uh, I will let that go. I will live my life more freely. Yeah, come and go more, and I'll be able to. That's not the same as not wanting to make somebody happy. It's just not making my own happiness contingent on whether somebody likes me or doesn't like me or is happy or not happy. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And think about that, too, bringing it back to spiritual counseling, people pleasing with your client, thinking Mm -hmm. that you need to know the best path for them so they, you know, so you... You know, they'll feel happy with their session so they don't feel coming up short. But what if we practice radical honesty and acceptance? And if they ask you a question that you don't know, you say, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had that breakthrough this week with something. I, I felt like, you know, a good leader would know what to do. And I just looked at someone across the table and said, you know, uh, I haven't gotten back to you about this because I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. So there's that. And in that, they're like, oh, Great. Don't do anything if you don't know what to do. Like exactly. (laughs) People pleasing. Beautiful Tom. And uh, Amina, how about you? I think um, similar to what the others have said, there would be a lot more freedom um, in my experience. And, I, you know, I notice a lot of judgment these days. And, I, you know, for the fa- past several years, I've really been working on eliminating them. But, you know, they do, as you said, they, they do come up. But it's just do we decide to believe them or attach to them? And, um, yeah, there's, there's a, lot up, a lot up for healing right now. I don't really have a lot to say, um, except for I have been in a lot of suffering, <laughs> and I, I don't really know how to be in radical acceptance and being okay, acknowledging whatever it is where I am without dipping into wallowing. 
and energizing the less good or less spiritual or less productive feeling. Yeah, great. Perfect. What a brilliant awareness. And I mean that. I'm not giving you lip service. I mean, that's a really great awareness. If you can accept that, that you're not able to accept so much stuff, oh, my God, it's a huge step. I mean, it really is that, like, it's, it's almost like the Byron Katie work. Like, is it true? And so we can go in with it and, I, and just ask yourself, am I judging that? How do I know if I'm judging it? Because I'm making it good or bad. And that's why, like, so many of the, you know, the gurus, you can give them a compliment and they're not like, oh, thank you, I know, you know, they just smile, they don't, they're not making it mean anything. Mm-hmm. Just is. And, and judgment, you know, extends beyond good, bad, I like this, I don't like this to, like you have said before, anytime you want it to be different, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And how much of what we see and experience we want to be different. Mm-hmm. And how do we evolve spiritually? How do we consciously choose to transform our lives and our experiences without judgment? I'm sorry, what did you what was that last part? How are we how do going we, to how do we consciously choose to expand and grow and transform our lives without judgment. Mm -hmm. Because we're we're recognizing we want our lives to be different or we want to be, you know, in a higher state of consciousness or we want the peace or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. It's a very good question. And perhaps that's the thing is, who says judgment's bad? <laughs> is it say, you know? It is bad, though, because it makes us feel awful. <laughs> <laughs> but is that bad? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think that judgment has brought so many people to the practice of non-judgment. I mean, many people would say, I mean, it's it's so it's so radical to the physical ego mind, right? Because it comes down to body. You know, like, well, yeah, but judgment keeps you safe. Is that true? Mm. It keeps your body. It could. It might keep the body safe. Are you your body? Well, yes, but in this realm, yes, but is it true? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, what are you saying? Like you get cancer and you're just like, oh, just observe it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you 
go within and take the most peaceful path. So, something for us to contemplate this week. I'm going to invite everybody to take out the Joel Goldsmith, Our Spiritual Resources, and turn to page 62, Across the Desk. One, two, three, four. What do you know? Four paragraphs. So we'll go... um, uh, We'll go in alphabetical order. Amina, Brian, S.T., Stephen, and Tom. Amina, Brian, Stephen, and Tom. Paragraph at a time. The bottom of 62, across the desk. We're going to read that together, review it together. So, um, in Joel Goldsmith. When you're ready, uh, Amina, feel free. The infinite way is like unto my kingdom, which the master tells us is not of this world. And the function of the infinite way is not to give us merely the peace that this world giveth, but a deeper, more enduring peace. From a practical standpoint, this means that while we do not concern ourselves primarily with curing diseased bodies or increasing the amount of our dollars. Nevertheless, as this, my kingdom and my peace are attained, health of mind, body, and supply are the inevitable added things. The goal of our attainment is spiritual awareness. Our writings and recordings reveal the principles of spiritual living, which then, which when practiced, deepen and enrich consciousness. This attained consciousness is the Christ which now lives our lives, becomes our bread, meat, wine, and water, becomes the resurrection from the tomb of living, of material living, raising us to the life of divine sonship so that we no longer live by might nor by power, but as an heir of God. In healing work, remember that we cannot meet a problem on the level of the problem. That is, we cannot attain health by overcoming disease. We cannot have abundance by increasing our supply of dollars. We cannot attain companionship by friendships or marriage. Only by turning thought from the appearance to the realization of God as omnipresence and omnipotence and attaining the actual experience or awareness of the infinite invisible do we find the harmonies of life appearing consistently and abundantly. The visible evidence may well be the health of mind and body, the abundance of supply and satisfying friendship or marriage. These come as the fruitage of the attained consciousness of God. In In living the infinite way, there is a chapter, God is Omnipresent, which deals more fully with this subject. Our study and practice will assuredly reveal a full and rich life complete with the added things when our desires for, for things have given away to the desire to know God whom to know a right is light is eternal. Mm. 
the question really is, are you willing, are you capable of seeking the kingdom just to seek the kingdom? Not worrying about all the other things that will be added unto thee. Because the way I see it, and as we're talking about, you know, the miracle is the peace of mind. What manifests in the world is the demonstration is not the miracle. It's an extension of the peace of mind, the extension of the consciousness. And all your needs will be met uniquely to you, you know. Your life will, trans- will, will mold itself. It's sort of the law of projection is what Jennifer calls it, Reverend Jennifer calls it. You'll create the happy dream, as A Course in Miracles calls it. Whatever will support you in being comfortable as you do your due will make itself present, will express itself. Your needs will be met. I, I'm reminded of this uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon. I think it was Bugs Bunny, where he was sleepwalking. And like every time it looked like he was about to like fall off a cliff or something like that, something would present itself to just like lift him up easily and he'd take the next step, lift him up easily and he'd get where he needed to go and by the end of it he just was woke up in bed and he was fine and he had been through all these things. But every step, like whenever it seemed like there was going to be, whenever there was a need for him to keep him safe in the dream, it just appeared easily, effortlessly, out of, you know, out of the blue. Now, we're so attached We've been conditioned to be so attached to what is it going to look like and how is it going to get here? How am I going to know I'm successful? That we um, we become so attached to that that uh, and you know and we live in the material realm and we've been so taught that this looks like success, this looks like you're okay, this looks like you're being taken care of, this looks like even in spiritual communities, this looks like. You have a solid spiritual practice. This is what a spiritual person looks like. This is what a spiritual person does. This is how many hours a day a spiritual person is in practice. This is the kind of diet a spiritual person eats. This is the kind of meditation a real spiritual person will do. A real spiritual person is going to go take a, you know, uh, is going to take a pilgrimage to India. A real spiritual person is going to do this, this, and this. Says who? (laughs) Says who? You know, one of my greatest teachers right now, my favorite teachers is a dominatrix on the side, as well as being a reverend. And, you know, you just don't know. And her life is manifesting brilliantly through what, through her consciousness, through what's supporting her, through what is, is supporting her in feeling peaceful and free. And it looks like a, very differently than what a peaceful life will probably look like for me. What it looks like for me right now, I'm sitting in a comfortable couch. I have a beautiful smelling candle sitting in front of my altar. I have two dogs, two lovely dogs nearby. I'm in a conversation about God. That's not how it's going to manifest in other people's lives. And if you wanted to really look at it from the eyes of judgment, I'm in a two-bedroom apartment. Some people might say that that's you know, that I'm a failure because of that. Some people might think that I'm extremely successful because of that. It's all perception. It's all opinion. And at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. 
So let's talk about this. How are you, you know, checking in with yourself and being honest? How are you in that practice of seeking the kingdom, of making it about the peace and not about what is manifesting in your life in the physical realm? What thoughts do you have on that? Ryan here. That's what I was alluding to when I was talking about the judgment of whatever activity that I'm doing. Uh, When we were reading um, about life after death and the woman that was there and went on very quickly into the light, there's there's a part of me that, that says, okay, what do I need to do in order to go into the light faster? It keeps going back to do, do, do. And forgetting that it's not about doing, that there's nothing that I can do. See, that's my dilemma. Can, is there something that I can do to get to the light faster? If I meditate more, if I... But again, it's thinking that doing that is a spiritual principle rather than just being the spiritual principle of being love, dropping all the judgments. Yes? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like listening to you, Reverend, because it's just the truth flows so freely and easily from you. And of course we know the truth. Of course I know it's all judgment, and that doesn't stop me from judging. It doesn't stop the mind, and it just tells me that's where I'm at still, and look at that, and come back and look at this beautiful sunset and breathe this breath of air right here. I have one teacher who's probably in practice, at least two hours a day. I have another teacher who says she gives five minutes of silence, five to ten minutes of connecting with God and asking God to God through her. And that's her practice, is ten minutes. And I have another teacher who doesn't really meditate, but reads and contemplates. And I wouldn't say that any of these people are more holy than any <laughs> the other one, you know. They each have different experiences. And I don't think, I don't know if any of them are on a fast track. They all seem to have their own challenges and work through them in their own ways to, uh, you know, align with clarity. So it's interesting. It's that, one, it's that practice of non-comparison, not comparing yourself to anybody else. But two, it's, I think, the willingness to be curious enough to discover what works for you. And remember, the process is allowing God to express itself. God is closer to you than your breath. That is anything and everything you are is God. That's it. So all the other stuff is just a misperception. So it's just allowing what is to express itself. Yep. I had this wonderful experience yesterday. If you go on my Facebook page, you'll see photographs of my two kind of God nephews, uh, Marco and Enzo. 
And when I'm with children and rugrats and on the floor playing, I'm in heaven. I, that's the most authentic me I can ever be. Well, I can be up, but you know what I mean. I just, I am so in that experience and the kids love that experience so much. They're hugging me and crawling all over me and it just feels so wonderful. And, and that can be my practice. That can definitely be a, you know, a huge part of my practice is being with kids. Yeah, sure. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to share? Seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. So, does anyone have anything they'd like to um, share about chapter three in this book? I just could eat it with just mm, three bites. On uh, on page 59, I think it says quite to support our conversation tonight. On the last paragraph on page 59, it says, Very often we are inclined to outline just what our demonstration is to be, whereas the wisest course is to take the attitude of receptivity and let the Spirit inform and direct us in the way in which we should go. Then, if we follow that way, we shall find our footsteps prospered from every standpoint and from every angle. It is when we go contrary to the leading of the Spirit that we encounter all manner of human obstacles. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Dear God, and so I just hand it all over to you and, and I pray for peace. But I need it to look like this, though. <laughs> and when Peace is here, I, I need it to look exactly like this. And if it doesn't, then I will be unpeaceful. I will say that um, that piece, the, the section reminds me of the importance of cultivating clarity so that we understand that we are really being led by spirit because sometimes we're not. It's just what we want. And we think we're being, you know, given the answer but we don't know what the answer is. So I think that's where we do need to put in whatever it takes 
for the spiritual practice to to have that clarity and that connection. Yes. So, Amina, how would you, in your experience, how would you say that you are learning to um, tell the difference? A lot of it is hindsight, you know, when I look back at things and I thought, oh, you know, I was really in the flow or I was really getting the guidance or I was with somebody who had the guidance or whatever it was. And I was like, nope, <laughs> that was not it. And, you know, somehow I was protected from, like, when I think about my work and I think about, like, wanting to leave and wanting to leave and wanting to leave and like now it's to the point where I don't know when I will know when I can leave because I wanted to leave for so long. And I didn't leave and I think I was really spared from making a poor financial decision. Um, And obviously there's more to learn because it's happening. Mm. But, you know, it really, this is one of the things that that concerns me um, is that, like, how will I know? Or, you know, I hear people talk all the time about, you know, well, like, you know, here in this book, it, it, the paragraph before was him talking about his business going bad and everybody telling him, oh, you know, be, be a spiritual practitioner. Well, I mean, they're both scary, right? You leave a bad business to go to an unknown, you know, spiritual healing practice? <laughs> You know, come on, how do you know that's going to work? And you don't know when it's going to, when your business is going to turn around. You don't know if you should go out on a, on faith and, and be a spiritual healer. So, I mean, that's the, what I think about. It's just like, how will I know which direction to go? I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, I'm being called to do this and I'm being called to do that, but it's not working out. Well, how long do you let it go? until it turns around. What do you think? I guess when you really know, you'll know. But like I said, you know, for me, I feel like if if we're continuing to cultivate clarity, clear the channels and really, really tune in and be willing to listen, then we'll know. And I guess in my case, the fact that it's not clear enough yet means it's not time. Well, one thing I do appreciate about this chapter is he talks about how easy it gets and how things are pretty much done for you Mm -hmm. when you quiet your mind. When you get, you know, when you really get to that, um, when you allow it to express, you know, through your life, when you allow God to pour forth and express that, it's it's an easy it's easier, it's just sort of shown. So you don't have to question. I mean, I spent so much time questioning if it's the wrong decision or not. Is this the right or is it wrong? I don't know. Am I am I being given this opportunity so I can turn it down or am I? Da 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 da. And it's often when I just go forward with what feels good. You know, if it feels good, if it feels right, you know. And I also think, for me, 
one big thing of clarity that I really got was when it feels like you're taking a step towards something and you're not taking a, a leap away from something. Does that make sense? Yes, but it does make sense. But when somebody has a strong desire, it may not be clear. You know, if I really want to leave this or I really want to do that or I really want to have that, then mm-hmm. it it may not be clear because of the um, intensity of me wanting what I want. Well, I would say that, you know, we're talking about how it comes from within. And I think one way to really get clear if you're making an idol out of a fantasy is if you are expecting that thing to bring you the peace. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I, I want that because it's going to make me peaceful. Mm-hmm. So, we don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, again, it's the going within. It's the seeking the kingdom. And... I, we're sharing this again, guys. This is all to support you in in um, expanding and deepening your listening in spiritual counseling sessions because our job is to stay out of the effects, stay out of the material world, stay out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't meet it at that level because you don't know if them getting the job is going to be good for them or the best thing for them. You don't know. We don't know. So we take it back to how is it that you're interested in feeling? How do we keep our, you know, how do we keep our focus on that? And that should be the question we ask ourselves in our own lives. Am I expecting this relationship, this offer, this whatever to save me? If I if I had that clarity... Oh, man. I mean, I've had to have the experience so often of saying yes to something because I thought it was going to save me. I thought it was going to make me feel more secure. I thought it was going to make me feel more abundant. And it never worked. And so often it just created more stress in my life because I was doing something that I didn't want to do. Or if an offer comes along that I think is going to make me more of something. I now know that I don't have to take those because, you know, a lot of the TV stuff that I did or the media stuff I would take because I thought it was going to make me matter more, be more relevant, have people take me more seriously. I'm not, I don't want to do work that I don't enjoy. But it's cultivating that you know, it was through my cultivation of my practice, like really going there and seeing like idols. And listen, I ha- I'm not totally there yet. I still do work that doesn't necessarily feed my soul. It doesn't, I don't necessarily like it, but I don't hate it. And I appreciate what it, how it supports me right now as I continue to cultivate, continue to go forward, continue to grow. So I can have at least the perspective of gratitude, you know, that 
the you know the peace that um, how it supports me in feeling peaceful. How it's an extension of my commitment to feel peaceful as I continue to grow this community and deepen my own practice. And I'm receiving more and more. You know, um, I mean, I you know I do personal training still a couple days a week. And it's not like my heart's desire, but I mean, uh, in regards of how do you know, you know, it's starting to peter off and I don't necessarily feel the call to try to fill the spots once the people are not there. If somebody approaches me out of the blue and it's someone that I would really like to work with, I'll say, okay, yeah, sure. Why don't you come and work with me on these days or something like that? But it's sort of like the universe is taking care of it for me, you know? Like there's just less personal training clients, but there's more counseling clients. There's more coaching clients coming in effortlessly. I mean, I didn't even have to ask for it. They're emailing me. And I'm able to receive. So I'm really working on receptivity. I'm really working on that peace of mind. I'm really working on more clarity. I'm spending time quieting my mind, just... just enjoying God. And, you know, life gets easy. It gets easier. And it's, you know, and this is our work. This is our practice. So we listen for what are our clients giving their power to? Who have they taken hostage? What relationships, what people in their lives do they think need to act a certain way so they can be peaceful? What situations in their life do they believe need to look a certain way so they can be peaceful? What needs to happen so they can be happy? So we just listen to all the things that they are giving their power to and we bring it back and gently remind them through our mind treatment, that all the peace, all the joy, everything is here now. We keep it on the level of God. We keep it on the level of God. We bring our awareness back to God. So let's take a five-minute break. It's 7.37. I'll see you back at 7. Let's say uh, 7.45. I'll meet you back at 7.45. Please uh, leave your phones on, put them on mute, and I'll see you in a bit.
All right. So I'd like to talk briefly about spiritual counseling. I'd like to encourage all of you to email your fellow practitioners in all groups, one, two, and three, uh, and invite them to uh, support you by allowing you to give them a counseling session. Remember, five, your first five counseling sessions, unless you check with me beforehand, should be with practitioners, other practitioners. And Amina asked me to talk about uh, consultations, a consultation. And I always invite and encourage everybody to um, offer a 15-minute consultation before you meet with somebody. Uh, now, this is not with other practitioners. This is for um, people that you haven't worked with yet or might not be familiar with the process. And it's important that you offer consultation because uh, you have to make a few things clear. One, you have to let them know that you're a spiritual counselor so that they are 100% clear that this isn't therapy. And you can share the difference between therapy and spiritual counseling is that um, I'm not we're not necessarily interested in what happened. We're not necessarily interested in the story, but we are very interested in what it is your uh, what it is you're interested in creating, how you're interested in feeling. And we're going to look at the blocks that are preventing you from experiencing that peace today. And so it's very much focused on uh, spiritual principles. So say this is a spiritual approach. So there's no surprises at all. And then you feel it out. You listen to what they're looking for. And you have to be very honest with yourself and with this person because in a sense, you know, you're aligning yourself karmically with this person. So if it sounds like like I had an experience where I worked with a girl uh, that I probably, I just, I mean, in retrospect, like I think it was because I, I wanted the hours, I wanted the review, uh, I wanted to be able to submit the uh, the uh, write-ups and all that stuff. And, um, but the young woman, I feel, probably could have very much benefited from some therapy, psychotherapy. And she wasn't necessarily interested in the spiritual approach and was often um, concerned that I was brainwashing her. (laughs) So it was a very challenging situation. Eventually, she just stopped coming. Um, And uh, I, I so did not enjoy the experience. And it was because I know that I was not clear enough to her about what it is that I are the approach that I was interested in. She wasn't interested in doing any of the spiritual work. So I learned it's so very important to get crystal clear with people. And this is going forward. This isn't just when you're doing this process so you can get your license and your certificates. It's just um, going forward forever. You should always have a consultation. Consultation should be free. 
And it's just um, an opportunity for them to ask you any questions about the process, for you to get a feel for them, for you to make it clear that it's spiritual counseling, to make clear that there's going to be, uh, you know, some of the things that is involved in that. And mostly let them, you know, uh, share what it is they're looking for, why they're looking for counseling, and what they're hoping to accomplish. And if it feels like it's, if it feels like you can support the person, then you can schedule your first appointment. So that's really what a consultation is. And I say 15 minutes. I find it could probably be done in 15 minutes, sometimes a little longer. Um, you fill it out. But if you establish a time frame right off the bat, I invite you to really stick with it. So if you say 15 minutes, make it 15 minutes. That way you're creating boundaries right off the bat. You're, you're creating a structure for um, your counseling sessions right off the bat. Does anyone have any questions about consultations? Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let us pick up our uh, <laughs> I turned to the section. The section was Jesus slash Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So we're actually going to review section 12 how many teachers of God are needed to save the world. And Tom and Stephen, I know we read this section in class. We did not read it in the other class, and it was a homework assignment, you know, to read it and, and talk about it. But I'd like to read this in class so we can all do it together and really deepen the conversation about it. So we're going to go paragraph by paragraph. We're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to talk about it at the end. So we'll do alphabetical order again, and there's six, paragraph, so Amina and Brian will read twice. Um, actually, I'm going to read two, so Amina, you'll read twice. So I'll go, and then Amina, Brian, Stephen, and Tom. Section 12, Manual for Teachers, How Many Teachers of God Are Needed to Save the World? The answer to this question is, one, one holy, perfect teacher whose learning is complete, suffices. This one, sanctified and redeemed, becomes himself, who is the Son of God. He who was always Holy Spirit, now no longer sees himself as a body, or even as in a body. Therefore, he is limitless. And being limitless, his thoughts are joined with God's forever and ever. His perception of himself is based upon God's judgment, not his own. Thus does he share God's will and bring his thoughts still deluded mind. He is forever one because he is as God created him. He has accepted Christ and he is saved. Thus does the Son of Man become the Son of God. It is not really a change. It is a change of mind. Nothing external alters, but everything internal now reflects only the love of God. God can no longer be feared, for the mind sees no cause for punishment. God's teachers appear to be many, for that is what the world's that is what is the world's need. 
yet being joined in one purpose and one they share with God, how could they be separate from each other? Well, it doesn't matter if they then appear in many forms. Their minds are one. Their joining is complete. And God works through them now as one, for that is what they are. Why is the illusion of many necessary? Only because reality is not understandable to the deluded. Only very few can hear God's voice at all, and even they cannot communicate his messages directly through the spirit which gave them. They need a medium through which communication becomes possible to those who do not realize that they are spirit. A body they can see, a voice they understand and listen to without the fear that truth would encounter in them. Do not forget that truth can come only where it is welcomed without fear. So so do God's teachers need a body, for their unity could not be recognized directly. Yet what makes God's teachers in their recognition of the proper purpose of the body? As they advance in their profession, they become more and more certain that the body's function is but to let God's voice speak through it to human ears. And these ears will carry to the mind of the hearer messages that are not of this world, and the mind will understand because of their source. From this understanding will come the recognition in this new teacher of God of what the body's purpose really is, the only use there really is for it. The lesson is to recognize, the, sorry, this lesson is enough to let the thought of unity come in, and what is one is recognized as one. The teachers of God appear to share the illusion of separation, but because of what they use the body for, they do not believe in the illusion, despite appearances. The central lesson is always this. That what you use the body for, it will become to you. Use it for sin or for attack, which is the same as sin, and you will see it as sinful. Because it is sinful, it is weak, and being weak, it suffers and dies. Use it to bring the word of God to those who have it not, and the body becomes holy. Because it is holy, it cannot be sick, nor can it die. When its usefulness is done, it is laid by, and and that is all. The mind makes this decision as it makes all decisions that are responsible for the body's condition. If the teacher of God does not make this decision alone, to do that would be to give voice to the, to give the body another purpose from, okay. to do that would be to give the body another purpose from which, from the, the one that keeps it holy. God's voice God's voice will tell him when he has fulfilled his role, just as it tells him what his his function is. He does not stutter, he does not suffer either in going or remaining. Sickness is now impossible to him. Oneness and sickness cannot coexist. God's teachers choose to look on dreams a while. It is a conscious choice. For they have learned that all choices are made consciously with full awareness of their consequences. The dream says otherwise. But who would put his faith in dreams once they are recognized for what they are? 
Awareness of dreaming is the real function of God's teachers. They watch the dream figures come and go, shift and change, suffer and die. Yet they are not deceived by what they see. They recognize that to behold a dream figure as sick and separate is no more real than to regard it as healthy and beautiful. Unity alone is not a thing of dreams. And it is this God's teachers acknowledge as behind the dream, beyond all seeming and yet surely theirs. I'm going to read uh, a short article, the Q&A, from Circle of Atonement. The question is, in the manual for teachers, it says, one sin perfectly forgiven by one teacher of God to make salvation complete. I know there are other manual references to the idea that it takes only one son of God to do this and save us all. Isn't that what Jesus did? If so, shouldn't we be free of all illusions now? Answer. Later in that same paragraph, the manual says that no one here can understand it, so any answer to the question isn't going to tie up every loose end. But here's my take on this, based on course references to the topic. The course does indeed say that only one teacher of God can save us all. The section titled, How Many Teachers of God Are Needed to Save the World, says the answer to this question is one. One holy, perfect teacher whose learning is complete suffices. Later on in the manual, in a section that is speaking about Jesus in the third person, we are told unequivocally that he was this one. We have repeatedly said that one who has perfectly accepted the atonement for himself is the world. Indeed, Jesus has already done so. Why then do we still seem to be schlepping around in this illusion? In short, because we obstinately, because in short, because we're obstinately refusing to accept the gift Jesus is offering us. The Course refers many times to a paradox around the giving of spiritual gifts. On the one hand, it says that whenever a true gift of the Spirit is offered to anyone, it's always accepted on a deep level of the mind. On the other hand, if the person is consciously afraid of that gift, which will be the case when that person is still heavily invested in the ego, uh, he'll re- he will refuse the gift on a more surface level of the mind. Therefore, the gift will not be consciously experienced. An earlier section of the manual, Is Healing Certain, has a good discussion on this. It begins by saying healing is always certain, and then goes on to say that when a person is threatened by healing, it will be stored in the storehouse of treasures in his mind until the time he is ready to fully accept it. The scenario described here is essentially the situation of everyone in the world, because his learning is complete. Jesus has already given us the gift of salvation, and somewhere deep in our minds, we have already received it. Indeed, we all received it back at the beginning when the Holy Spirit ended the dream, reinstated the son. But we're still so heavily invested in the ego that we're pushing away the gift, and it can't be forced on us. We won't fully accept it until we recognize it as a blessing and not a curse. This recognition can happen at any time. Because your will is free, you can accept what has already happened at any time you choose. And only then will you realize that it was always there. 
And this is where the course comes in. Its program is designed to show us how painful the ego is and how joyous the spirit is. So we will be motivated to accept what has already happened much sooner than we otherwise would. Through walking the course's path, the gifts Jesus gave when he saved the world will become more and more welcome to us until the day finally arrives when it is fully welcome. Then we will consciously experience the salvation that has already happened for the instant is welcome and is there. So the answer to the, well, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) What do you mean one? Didn't Jesus wake up? And if, and if so, why are we still here is we're invested in the ego. We haven't accepted the gift. And I contemplate that and I think, okay, like, where am I, where do I not accept the gift? Where am I still attached to this material realm that I think of my body? You know, like, if someone were to say, to me tomorrow, like, oh, yes, I, you know, to fully awaken, we have to cast off this body. I'd be like, no, you're crazy. That's crazy. That's Jonestown stuff. That's drinking Kool-Aid and dying and suicide. I don't think that's ever, whatever. Like, I feel like that attachment to this body. I feel that attachment to the physical realm still. And so I haven't fully received the truth, which is I am not this body. The body is a, this is the teaching of the Course, the body is the central figure of a dream. It does not exist. Life does not begin with birth and it does not end with death. We are spirit. We are extensions of the divine. And we don't even, we can't even fully comprehend what that means because we are so attached to the body and the personality. And our fear is, after we die, well, what will happen to our personality? Will we still be this person with the experiences and the relationships? And I'm not sure I'm ready to let that go. So it takes one teacher of God to wholly accept the And yet free will gives us the choice. Are we willing to receive the gift of the atonement? And as long as we are solidly invested in the ego, the body's mind, the material world, then we haven't fully accepted the gift. Because we see that as having to give any of that up as a sacrifice. And the Course has said, you must sacrifice nothing in order to have everything. Does that make sense? Or starting, and even if that, it doesn't have to make like perfect sense, but like is a is a is a deeper understanding beginning to sort of blossom? Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Yep. And then of course the answer is one because there's only one of us here. Exactly. The one that appears as many. And Reverend is is your body ages. Uh, <laughs> you'll become less and less attached to it, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I I uh, I have this belly right now, and 
I have been so just like it's been like my greatest teacher. Like I'm just so in love with it right now. <laughs> I love it because I was just letting it ruin my life. And today I took this yoga class that I've taken many times before. I just haven't in a long time, and it was like it, it just like kicked my. I was just laughing at myself because I was like, "Woo, boy!" You know, like it, what an experience. But I didn't judge myself for being out of shape or thinking that I needed to start something new or hurt, run and start this diet. And I just sort of accepted this wonderful place that I'm at. And, you know, as I'm doing a lot of healing with my, I'm going to be very transparent with you all. And this is, of course, you know, uh, confidential conversation. But as I continue to do a lot of my healing around my sexuality and come to terms with the fact that, you know, I like, promiscuous sex. Like, I like to have sex with uh, people that I didn't have an emotional connection to. And I'm not interested in having a open relationship with my husband at all. And um, I've had to see where, you know, things have really come up for healing with me around temptation or fantasy or whatever, and um, I know that one of the biggest blessings of having my belly, my little paunch, was that it didn't motivate me to go. I wasn't trying to get validated through my appearances or my looks or through sex. It helped me stay home and work through the emotional and mental experiences of that, and I thought, what a blessing this was, that I was able to, like, what a gift from God to support me in um, staying home so I could work through what needed to be worked through so I could fulfill my commitment, the commitment that I made to Chris and to myself. And, um, you know, I have no judgment on people who have open relationships. Some of my good friends do. And they're very happy in them. You know, there's always a lot that comes up for healing, I find, in them. But it's not energetically what I'm interested in in my marriage. So I've had to look at, come to terms with, and develop a relationship, and a very loving relationship with the, you know, the part of me that likes to be the bachelor. So I was so grateful for this today and really considering that. I'm like, wow, what a, what a gift. And... The less I judge it, the more I just accept it. The more I accept it, the less I just let it be. And I work out from the space of just um, feeling good, liking the endorphins, and I'm working out a lot less because I find that makes me feel better. And I don't know. It's just really, I really had to look at this belief that I was failing because I gained weight, that there was something out of alignment that it had something to do with my desirability or who I was. I really had, like, one of my friends planted in my mind that there was some sort, something like a, a body-mind disconnect because I'd gained weight and that, you know, it's an expression of self-loathing in some capacity. And I believed that. And I really carried that around for, like, a year and a half. And I was like, that is such horse shit. I'm not this body. I love that we're really reviewing the course because it really reiterates that you are not this body. That is a fantasy. It is a fantasy that you are having. <laughs> like, 
It's a figure in a dream, a dream that you will awaken from and see. I mean, and I just really think, I'm like, how much time do I want to invest in hating this thing that doesn't even exist? When I can just accept that its function is to be a vessel for light to express and work around all the thoughts that I have about what it means. I had that exact experience also in that uh, I gained a lot of weight at a certain time because I wasn't interested in in sex or being sexual. And my self-image made it so, you know, that I'd rather stay home, kind of. Um, since then, however, I've learned that a lot of people are are attracted to guys with bellies. So uh, giving giving up on all of it. And yes, we're we're not the body, and whatever we're at in our journey with with health is where we're at. But I just wanted to share that I had that exact experience with you. Oh man, the the the, the things that we put ourselves through because of the misperception of what we are, or what sexy is, or what desirability is, and when we believe it, and that's the thing is, when we believe it, we'll have that experience. When we choose to release that belief, then you will have the experience of, you know, if you feel loved, if you feel lovable, if you feel, you know, magnetic, you can't not have that experience. It can't not manifest. And I'm not saying it manifests in people wanting to have sex with you or be in relationships with you, but it will manifest in a way that will you'll recognize and you'll understand it. Isn't it wild, the trips that we put send ourselves on? <laughs> Goodness gracious. That's why, of course, it literally says, you're insane. <laughs> okay. Does anybody have anything they'd like to contribute to that conversation? So let's turn to um, section 14. How will the world end? I think after reading this, we can all put Nostradamus to bed, finally. (laughs) How will the world end? And I have to say, it doesn't mention Donald Trump once in this reading. So... Uh, there's five paragraphs, so we can each have a paragraph. I'll begin, and then we'll do a meeting of Brian, Stephen, and Tom. Okay. How will the world end? And what has no beginning really end? I think we should just end there. <laughs> would it be great if that section was one? Would, would it be great if that section, if this section was one sentence? <laughs> Okay, can what has no beginning really end? The world will end in an uh, the world will end in an illusion as it began. Yet, will its ending be an illusion of mercy? The illusion of forgiveness, complete, excluding no one, limitless in gentleness, will cover it, hiding all evil, concealing all sin, and ending guilt forever. 
So ends the world that guilt had made, for now it has no purpose and is gone. The father of illusions is the belief that they have purpose, that they serve a need or gratify a want. Perceived as purposeless, they are no longer seen. Their uselessness is recognized and they are gone. How but in this way are all illusions ended? They have been brought to truth and the truth saw them not. It merely overlooked the meaningless. Until forgiveness is complete, the world does have a purpose. It becomes the home in which forgiveness is born and where it grows and becomes stronger and more all-embracing. Here is it nourished, for here it is needed. A gentle Savior, born where sin was made and guilt seemed real. Here is his home, for here there is need of him indeed. He brings the ending of the world with him. It is his call, God's teacher's answer, turning to him in silence to receive his word. The world will end when all things in it have been rightly judged by his judgment. The world will end with the benediction of holiness upon it. When not one thought of sin remains, the world is over. It will not be destroyed, nor attacked, nor even touched. It will merely cease to be, seem to be. Certainly, this seems to be a long, long while away. While not one thought of sin remains, appears to be a long-range goal indeed. But time stands still and waits on the goal of God's teachers. Not one thought of sin will remain the instant any one of them accepts atonement for himself. It is not easier to forgive one sin than to forgive all of them. The illusion of orders of difficulty is an obstacle the teacher of God must learn to pass by and leave behind. One sin perfectly forgiven by one teacher of God can make salvation complete. Can you understand this? No. It is meaningless to anyone here. Yet it is the final lesson in which unity is restored. It goes against all the thinking of the world, but so does heaven. The world will end when its, thoughts, when its thought system has been completely reversed. Until then, bits and pieces of its thinking will still seem sensible. The final lesson, which brings the ending of the world, cannot be grasped by those not yet prepared to leave the world and go beyond its tiny reach. What then is the function of the teacher of God in this concluding lesson? He need merely learn how to approach it, to be willing to go in its direction. He need merely trust that if God's voice tells him it is a lesson he can learn, he can learn it. He does not judge it either as hard or easy. His teacher points to it, and he trusts that he will show him how to learn it. The world will end in joy because it's a place of sorrow. When joy has come, the purpose of the world has gone. The world will end in peace because it is a place of war. When peace has come, what is the purpose of the world? The world will end in laughter because it is a place of tears. Where there is laughter, who can, no, who can longer weep and and only and only complete forgiveness brings 
all this to bless the world. And blessing it departs, for it will not end as it began. To turn hell into heaven is the function of God's teachers, for what they teach are lessons which in, in which heaven is reflected. And now sit down in true humility and realize that all God would have you do, you can do. Do not be arrogant and say you cannot learn his own curriculum. His word says otherwise. His will be done, it cannot be otherwise, and you will be thankful it is so. Can we get a hey, hey, hallelujah? Stephen, you've been a little quiet tonight. What do you think? Jesse, I only heard half of what you said. Oh, I said, Stephen, you've been quiet tonight. What do you think? Oh, I was on mute. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. You are forgiven. Um, Holy forgiven. You're holy forgiven, Stephen. Um, you know, this section really, when I was growing up, um, because like you, Jesse, I grew up in, you know, Southern Baptist, very hellfire brimstone. This was like my biggest fear. It would actually keep me awake at night as a child was like the whole end of the world kind of thing. And, um, this just paints it in like such a, to me, such a more like common sense kind of way. How so? Because it, because it is that idea of it's this perception and these attachments and these um, you know these things that we cling to that it's it's the end of those things that ends the world that we the illusion of the world that we see you know not necessarily you know the Big Bang or the Ice Age or whatever. So what's your biggest fear about the Big Bang or the Ice Age or the something like that? What's, what's your fear in that? Well, I don't think well, I don't have head. that. I don't have that anymore. But, um, but as a child, yeah. what was it? That oh, as a child, was it was just like, all I could think of was like, you know, pain and, um, you know, suffering and like, you know, not, not having my mom or, or whatever. And, um, pain and pain and suffering of what? The physical body. Yep. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, it's going to rain fire and, like, you know, and, um, and now it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, isn't it funny? You're like, yeah, it, it might. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's it so might. funny. That, yeah. I was like, yeah, it could, but, you know. I don't know what anything's for. What did you say, Amina? No judgment. No judgment. (laughs) Hey, no judgment. And lots can happen. (laughs) (laughs) Lots can happen. You know, I was thinking about that today, about we're overdue for a big earthquake. And I thought, well, okay, that's an interesting thought. And uh, we've got water stored up. Whatever happens, you know, it's... (laughs) <laughs> but I was in that disaster mode thought for a while too today. 
it might never happen again either. Who knows? It's interesting how, you know, it, it really is, it brings home, it just reminds us that we are so invested in what happens to the body. That that's what mm-hmm. ignites the fear. That's what sparks the fear. What's going to happen to my body? Is it going to hurt? Is it going to be in pain? My right. whole life I've learned to avoid pain, you know, uh, wh- whether it be, you know, and then it goes into the personality too. Avoid emotional pain. So I avoid other bodies that I think makes me hurt in mm-hmm. some way. But now we realize it's only our thoughts, you know. It's, it's us believing what people say that hurts our feelings. But, yes, and I'm feeling that right now. And it really freaking hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm trying to change my mind that I'm not in physical and emotional pain, but I haven't been able to do that yet. Well, good, because you're not supposed to yet. I think this is where the acceptance comes in. You know, we have to accept that if you're in physical pain, you have to accept that you're in pain. You have to accept that your body is in pain. And it's in, you know, and then you're there. Then what? Then you're not judging it. But it I'm not going to say that it, it goes, I'm not going to say that it goes away or that it doesn't hurt, but at least you can take the element of the judgment away. And, you know, the question always, and I'm sure you're asking yourself this, is Holy Spirit, I offer this to you. What is this? What am I here to learn? What is this here to offer me? Yeah. Uh, I hurt my neck like, I mean, uh, Thursday. I mean, I couldn't even turn my neck to the right. It was such a sharp pain. You have and neck pain? I have neck pain. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. See? Yeah. But I accepted it. I really accepted it, and I, I didn't make it bad, and I didn't make it, you know, I, I wasn't denying that it was there. I did what felt like the most peaceful thing for me to do as I just accepted it. And what came up for me was all of these beliefs about getting older. Mm. All of these beliefs about getting older, and that, you know, I can't do that anymore. I'm not a young person anymore. And I saw, like, all these places where I, I'm making myself, I'm making all these declarations about getting older. And also making excuses for people who are younger. Making excuses for people who are younger, saying, oh, they're young. So I'm not holding them accountable because they're young? So underneath the pain was an opportunity. And I got to tell you, I'm not saying, you know, you know what, I'll stand in and declare that it's a miracle. The neck pain is gone. My neck pain is gone. And the last time this happened to me, it was with me for months. Like it was excruciating neck pain for months. And this time it lasted less than a week. I've, I've got a couple things to share and offer. Um, when Ram Das had a stroke... He, he calls it fierce grace now, and he says it's one of the greatest gifts that his guru ever gave him. And it's 
you know, that's only understandable when you see a spiritual connotation of, of looking, living a life, doing the sadhana. Uh, pain is universal. We know it's the body's signal that something is wrong. And you've heard me talk about my experience of having a choice of whether I want to give in to the pain or not with every breath and doing hongsa and concentrating so forcefully on the breathing that the, the pain thought was overridden. Not the pain signal, but the pain signal went to the brain and the brain, you know, there's other things that the brain can be doing. I don't know that that's true for anybody. I'm kind of holding that out as, as maybe a belief to, to experiment with and try. Um, yeah, and I love you. Thank you. I love you too. Yeah, so... No. It's just always releasing the judgment, staying curious, being full acceptance, and these are the tools that we have to work with to lean into or allow a clearer understanding, a clearer awareness, a clearer experience. And don't deny that it's painful. Let it be painful. And I'll, you know, we'll hold you in prayer as we pray out, too. I love the sentence in the second paragraph. Until forgiveness is complete, the world does have a purpose. It becomes the home in which forgiveness is born and where it grows and becomes stronger and more all-embracing. Here it is nourished, for here it is needed. A gentle Savior born where sin was made and guilt seems real. Here is his home, for here there is a need of him indeed. So the Savior in this context is the one who is able to see the innocence in all. So it's literally saying... The purpose of this world is forgiveness. And forgiveness is recognizing the illusion, recognizing nothing happens, and seeing the perfect innocence that lies underneath the misperception. So your homework for this week is to read chapter four. Uh, so this has chapter four, 
uh, read with notes, ready to discuss the next time we get together to work with one another. So the following week is uh, Reverend Jennifer, and then the week after that, we'll review Chapter 4. And we're actually going to... um, Oh, such a good one. Oh my gosh. Everything is so good that we that we study. Mm. Okay. So uh read uh number fifteen is each one to be judged in the end. Is each one to be judged in the end? So it's actually on the final judgment. Is each one to be judged in the end? And share a paragraph in the Facebook group on your takeaways from this section, short section. You don't have a lot of homework, uh, but I am going to encourage you to really reach out to your fellow practitioners and schedule some um, spiritual counseling sessions if you can. Have them fill out a... um, uh, a, one of the feedback forms that I sent you the link to. Um, yeah, so chapter four, our spiritual resources, and number 15 uh, in Facebook group, paragraph of your takeaways on the final judgment. So, Amina, we're going to hold you in prayer. Um, you're experiencing some uh, physical pain. Would you like to say what it is specifically or uh, not specific, like what, where it hurts or whatever, but you can um, make a specific prayer request and we'll each offer one tonight. I'm sorry, I didn't understand your invitation. So, you know, I was going to say we're going to pray for your, uh, we understand you're moving through physical pain, but uh, what is the actual prayer request that you would like to put into the group? That's a great question, Jesse. Um, because what would Joel Goldsmith say? God, 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 God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, that's it. Beautiful. And, Tom, do you have a prayer request? That everything falls into place as it's supposed to work-wise and uh, just accepting that uh, where I am is where I need to be. Beautiful. Uh, Brian? Uh, I want to donate my prayer request to Amina. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> I, I double pray, confirm with with her. Okay. Uh, Stephen? Acceptance. Okay. 
So taking a deep breath in and out. <clears throat> Let us take a moment to place a hand in our heart. Just support us, remind us of where we pray from. We pray from the space of limitless good. We pray from God, for God, through God, to God. This prayer is of God. And we place all of our requests or prayer requests on the holy altar in our mind that we may hand them over to the Holy Spirit, that we may speak clearly, that we may judge clearly. And we remember that in God, all needs are met. We remember that in God, there is no struggle. We are reminded of the infinite expansion of creation. We are reminded of the infinite power of love. We open our minds to receive a greater awareness of love's presence here and now. We know that where Tom is, God is. Where Amina is, God is. Where Stephen is, God is. Where Brian is, God is. Where Jesse is, God is. And we know that all things are possible. And we allow this recognition of the divine to penetrate and permeate every aspect of what we know ourselves to be and beyond. We allow that which is to express freely as our life. We know that Beauty, radiance, luminosity, abundance, and joy spring forth through the open well of our mind. We say yes to the goodness. We say yes to the light. We remind ourselves of the truth of what we are, the truth of what is God, God, and God. And we say yes to this. We participate fully in this expression, in this expansion. We are so grateful to simply allow. And we do allow. And we send out this joyful remembrance, this joyful news, the good news to all through our hearts, through our minds. We offer up the healing that is unfolding now through each and every one of these channels. We offer this healing through the interwebs to anyone who is feeling alone or afraid, reminding them that there is only one. We receive the gift of Jesus' awakening, the Christ consciousness. We receive it now. We say yes. Yes, we are not afraid to sacrifice that which has no meaning. We sacrifice nothing and embrace everything. And we are grateful and we are thankful, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. 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 All right, my beauties. I love you all. Sleep well. I look forward to connecting with you real soon. 
And I will uh, talk with you soon. Bye. Love you. Bye, guys. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.